Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, providing important treatment options for various types and stages of cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about colorectal cancer with Dr. Xavier Lohr. Dr. Lohr is a professor of medicine and medical director of the Cancer Screening and Prevention Program at Smilo Cancer Hospital. Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at Yale School of Medicine and director of hematologic malignancies at the Yale Cancer Center. So, uh, you know, I think colon cancer is something a lot of, touched a lot of people and you know, it's been, uh, I think, really brought into the public awareness by Katie Couric and others. Um, how successful, you know, there's been a big boost to getting everybody screened. How successful has that been? So, uh, definitely, uh, uh, colon cancer screening has been a big success in the U.S., and, and I think that uh, that has decisively contributed to the decrease in colorectal cancer incidence. So, I think it's a, it's a collective... Uh, uh, win from that uh, standpoint. Uh, we kind of a little bit of stuck at this point. We're uh, in the uh, uh, upper 60s in terms of percentage of people who are getting screened, who should be screened and are getting screened. So we still have a third of the people who really need to be screened, and we are not being that successful in reaching uh, to that population. So we really need to work a little bit harder in uh, getting more people screened, particularly because we do know that it does work. It does prevent uh, colon cancer and saves lives. So who should be screened? Right. So in general, uh, for average risk individuals, meaning no family history or, or, or any uh, any other um, uh, things related to that, uh, uh, the uh, common uh, screening age is starting at age 50. Um, for uh, uh, for a while, some organizations have recommended screening uh, starting at uh, 45 for African Americans because of the higher risk and the uh, lower age of diagnosis. And recently, the American Cancer Society has uh, extended their recommendation to all um, groups uh, uh, starting at 45 just uh, uh, because of that uh, significant increase in the younger individuals that we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, so so between 45 and 50, again, maybe trending more towards the 45 because of the reasons I just uh, now, That's a big change from what I was used to. I was used to 50. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe this has changed too. If you get a clean colonoscopy at your first screening, then it goes to every 10 years. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. If it's, uh, if it's done through colonoscopy uh, every 10 years, it uh, still seems a reasonable uh, option, and that's still the recommendation. If you do get screening through other uh, um, options, which is like a stool-based test, that's a different uh, uh, framework, and basically it's every year that you keep getting screened. Wow. So there's been a lot of advertisements that I hear... I don't know if it's on TV or on TuneIn Radio or something where they're advertising this ColoGuard screen, uh, really advertising it. Uh, tell us about these stool-based screens. I don't know if that's the only one that's available, if there are others. Sure. So actually, um, stool-based uh, tests were the initial tests that we used uh, for uh, colorectal cancer screening. And basically, the uh, initial ones and the ones that are still in the market that are uh, the, uh, called fit tests, those are the ones that are based on finding a called blood. Just They're blood, right? Tra- exactly. Just traces of blood in the stool. That's been extensively used. This is uh, one of the more common ways of uh, 
screening uh, populations around the world, not so much in the U.S., but around the world, definitely the most used one. Cologuard is a uh, also stool-based test that includes not only the detection of a cold blood, but also some particular changes in the DNA that uh, can uh, that go with uh, with uh, malignant changes uh, of cells being let uh, uh, shredded off from the uh, colon. So uh, what Cologuard does is again it adds a molecular test to the already existing uh, test for uh, detection of cold blood in the stool, uh, increasing the sensitivity uh, a little bit and uh, providing then a little bit of a higher detection rate than the uh, uh, feed test, which is the traditional stool-based test. So are either of these tests as sensitive or useful as a colonoscopy? So the gold standard still colonoscopy for um, for colorectal cancer screening. And again, we should uh, uh, also remind our audience that uh, uh, when we do stool-based testing, uh, the positive ones need a colonoscopy to complete that screening. So uh, we could kind of call them pre-screening tests. Uh, so uh, colonoscopy is still the gold standard, but we do know by really a lot of very well done studies that uh, in a population, uh, uh, from a population uh, uh, standpoint, uh, using either one of these uh, uh, tests does prevent both colon cancer and colon cancer-related mortality. So we often say that the best screening test is the one that gets done. So, uh, and that's why we are emphasizing more choices. Some people may not be that interested in colonoscopy, yet uh, uh, they could uh, go with a, a stool test because it's something that you can do at home. You don't need to, to prep. There's a lot of different reasons for that. So, that, so again, the best one is the one that gets done, and, and I think that's the emphasis. Gotcha. And just to be clear from what you said before, if you have any of these stool-based tests and it's a negative screen, then you repeat it every year? So for fit tests, it's every year. For the Cologuard, right now, it's approved every three years. Uh, so that's where we stand right now in terms of the uh, stool-based test. But for, uh, for the stool-based test to be effective, it has to be every year. Even the Cologuard? No, the Cologuard. Uh, every three tests. Uh, every basically, three uh, the FDA approved every three years, even though the data uh, is not extremely strong. M- part of the data is extrapolated from the FIT test because FIT is within the Cologuard test. Uh, but uh, if you're doing FIT, it's every year. If you're doing Cologuard, every three years. Gotcha. And um, it seems to me, you, you said it's a pre screen, but it sounds like you are accepting a negative result is meaning you don't need a colonoscopy right now. Correct. That's uh, that's exactly the uh, the nature of the test. If you done uh, if you have a negative test and obviously we are not talking about anyone having any symptoms or anything like that. That would be a totally different story. We're talking about people who feel perfectly fine, who have no family history and uh, no symptoms, feel well, then a negative is a negative and, and you just repeat it in a year and, and, uh, and uh, no need for colonoscopy if it's negative. Gotcha. Well, let's just take the population of uh, otherwise healthy 50-year-olds, let's say, who don't have a family history or anything worrisome, don't have symptoms, no bleeding in the stool or anything like that. Um, and let's say 100 of them were to get colonoscopy. What percent would you expect to have cancer uh, and what percent would have 
polyps or some other pre-malignant lesion. Right. So this, so you're talking about 50, 50 years old. Well, that's, or 45, whatever age you're going to start screening. Let's say 50, because that's the old-fashioned right. one. So if it's 50, we, uh, we know in the U.S. population that about 30% of them would have a polyp. Wow. Uh, so that's, those are the numbers, and probably would be around 1.5% or so that we'll be finding a, a cancer it, at, at uh, different stages. And, and um, one of the, uh, so the polyp detection rate is really high, and so obviously not everyone who does have polyps would develop into a cancer because colon cancer is much less common than, than polyp detection. But the, uh, we continue removing all the polyps just because we still don't have a good handle on which ones would end up being a cancer and which ones would just stay or even regress, which there's some evidence that maybe we are actually regressing some of them. But certainly the number of polyps we find is much bigger than the number of cancers, yet we know there's a very strong relationship between polyp development and cancer. Gotcha. And if you have polyps, um, will they show on the Cologuard test, or is this something you only see in colonoscopy? Right. So the uh, detection of polyps is much better with um, with uh, colonoscopy than the uh, stool-based studies, even though the Cologuard test seems to detect better uh, polyps than advanced polyps than the uh, feed test on its own. Uh, but the... Um, uh, the discussion here and the argument, again, is going back to which polyps are significant and which ones sure. are not. And that may have a lot to do with the fact that these stool-based studies are still pretty good from a population standpoint in terms of preventing particularly colon cancer death. Gotcha. Well, why are people afraid to get colonoscopy? If your insurance will pay for it, why wouldn't you just do it? Well, I, see, I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, one of them is it does you you have to pause in your life for at least a day a day and a half and and prep yourself prep uh, taking that whole solution and and all that seems to be a big barrier for a lot of patients and then there are other uh, there are other issues too which is uh, um, uh, the fact that uh, it's an invasive test, it does have a very small percentage of risk, but it does have some risk of complications too that we should you know, be upfront about them. Uh, so uh, if we think about a, a screening test, usually we like to see tests that are like totally uh, risk-free. Well, this is close to that, but it's not 100%. So um, people do get that choice offered and they should be told about the potential uh, risk that... Again, even though they are not high, they are there, and, and that's something that some people consider uh, in their choice in terms of uh, taking or not the colonoscopy. Hmm. When you said that 60% of the targeted population who should be getting screened is getting screened, does that include the stool tests as well as colonoscopy? Correct. That includes everyone. The, the way the data is being looked at, at is basically people who are up to date with screening, people who by age should be uh, undergoing screening, uh, 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 screening for colorectal cancer and they're um, being screened and they're up to date with the screening. So if they are having screening through a stool-based test that they have it every year, if it's colonoscopy and, and it was negative the initial one then 10 years, Everyone who's within the, the time frame that's recommended for every screening choice, that's that's being uh, up to date with screening. So 60% is, is obviously that's not 100%, but that means a lot of people are getting what you would consider adequate screening. Absolutely. And, and I think that 
has a lot to do with the, uh, decre- the steady decreases in uh, colorectal cancer incidents that we've seen since the 1980s. So I think it is a big success of uh, collective success here uh, because we've been taking screening seriously. And again, you mentioned uh, Kitty Couric at the, at the beginning of the program. And, uh, and uh, people like her have had a, a big impact. We've seen, uh, and it's been very documented, uh, big spikes in terms of uh, people going for screening after uh, the uh, televised uh, uh, colonoscopy that she underwent or, or, or uh, Oprah Winfrey also, that was a big hit too. So uh, uh, there is a, the power of the media uh, in this sense is, is, uh, is definitely out there. Yeah, gotcha. So how has the incidence uh, or uh, death rate from colorectal cancer changed since the 1980s? Right. So the, uh, the incidence has do- gone down in a very steady way. Uh, with with uh, with a caveat here that we are uh, all very concerned about, which is the steady increase in the younger individuals developing colorectal cancer. Since the mid nineteen uh, nineties, we've seen about a one and a half percent yearly increase in colorectal cancer in, indivi- in individuals younger than fifty, hmm. which is really a, a very extremely worrisome. So while so while the uh, the numbers have gone nicely down overall. Uh, the younger individuals uh, have gone up, and that's been uh, really concerning. Uh, and that's the trend that we need to tackle. And in response to that, that's why, um, for instance, the ACS went down with their recommendations for colorectal cancer screening to 45 instead of 50. That's the main reason. They did some uh, uh, modeling calculations, sophisticated modeling calculations that basically um, uh, it looked like it was cost effective to start at 45 instead of uh, at age 50 just because of this changes in the incidence and that trend, which has been, again, very steady uh, since the 1990s. Well, that's very encouraging news, and I'm going to want to talk about those younger people uh, in a bit. But right now, we need to take a short break for a medical minute. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to providing innovative treatment options for people living with cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about breast cancer, the most common cancer in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year. But thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and novel therapies, there are more options for patients to fight breast cancer than ever before. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with breast cancer. Digital breast tomosynthesis, or 3D mammography, is transforming breast screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers and eliminating some of the fear and anxiety many women experience. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Xavier Yor. We've been discussing colon cancer in honor of colorectal cancer awareness month. Xavier, before the, um, before the break, we were talking about uh, the general decrease in the incidence of colon and colorectal cancer since the 80s. What has been the sort of absolute 
percentage difference? Has it gone down 5%, 2%, 10%? So we've seen a close to 15% decrease. Oh, that's a lot, huh? Yeah, that's a lot. And does that affect the death rate as well? The due to it has affected cancer? the death rate, uh, but obviously that uh, has also to do with the uh, uh, improvement in the treatment too. So uh, both uh, detecting uh, earlier cancers and improving uh, the treatment, which clearly has been seen, has really contributed to that too. Right. And even though there's been you know, great progress in, in treating advanced cancers, isn't it still true that getting rid of the early ones is the best way to, to not have people die? Absolutely. Yeah. So getting your screening early and getting those pre-malignant polyps taken out is a big thing, right? Absolutely. So why do you think it is that younger people are, are getting colon cancer? Is it, is it related to the obesity epidemic? So um, there's um, – there uh, obviously, it's going to be environmental. It's going to be related to uh, either what we breathe, what we eat, what we drink uh, because um, we would not – uh, think about genetics when you are seeing such a fast change uh, in in a very short period of time. So looking at what's different, uh, um, there are some studies that they look at factors like this one, obesity, and, and the relationship has been found to be moderate. So certainly if it has something to do, it's not a big chunk of the explanation of why mm. the changes. There are a lot of other issues, like the big increases have been seen in the U.S. in the in Appalachia, in the uh, in the uh, up, um, uh, in the Western uh, um, states like Washington and Oregon, and also in a, a little bit less, but also in the Northeast. That's where mm. the bigger increases have seen. So there's a lot of uh, um, there are a lot of theories about um, about uh, what's behind this. Uh, these uh, changes, uh, is it the water that we're drinking? Obviously, there's a good relationship between other um, risk factors like smoking and all that. We know that. But what's behind that change in the younger individuals, we really don't have a good handle. Obesity can play a role, but from all we know so far, it could not justify that big jump that we are seeing. I see. And one more thing on the screening before we move on to some of the topics that I'd like to cover. Uh, A few years ago, uh, there was a lot of uh, hubbub about the so-called virtual colonoscopy that used CAT scans or something like that. Is that still a thing, and, and where does that fit? So it's still a thing, but um, most of the guidelines have stopped recommending it as, a, as an option. One of the uh, important aspects about that is that even though uh, technically it's gotten much better with detection of, of very small polyps, the issue, one of the important issues is the uh, unintended consequences of doing CAT scans in, in, uh, in individuals. And, and uh, over 30% of cases, there are incidental findings, things that, that are found that not that are not related to the colon that need some follow up and so there is a lot of concern about um about using that particular uh, approach for colon cancer screening and ending up with a lot of uh, uh, expensive uh, follow-up tests that have nothing to do with that. And, uh, and again, they can really be very costly. So uh, there's been a lot of uh, uh, cooling down in terms of using that option, though it's still an option. So, for example, you might see a lymph node that looks a little too big and they may lead to a biopsy for nothing but nothing, that kind of thing? Exactly. And, uh-huh. and this number is, is, is a pretty significant one. Uh-huh. And if I'm not mistaken, you still need to do some kind of prep for the uh, virtual colonoscopy, don't you? 
Correct. It still ha have to prep, even though um, the software has gotten much better and uh, and it, they do have a software that can um, kind of factor in the stool and all that. So it, 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 it has continued to improve, uh, but you still have to take your prep. So uh, if you are looking at a, an alternative that would spare you from that prep, may not be the That's best. That's not the one. <laughs> well, I can definitely uh, testify that I gave myself well, I signed up for my first colonoscopy right after my – I signed up before my 50th birthday. I went when I was 50 plus one month, and I did the same with my 60th birthday. And I saw them as presents of health to myself, and uh, they were great – both great experiences, really. Uh, the prep was really not so terrible at all, and, uh, uh, you know, with the, with the propofol anesthesia – you, it's like you just missed an hour of your life. You just don't even realize it. And uh, no after effects whatsoever. And then when you get the negative result, which fortunately I was able to get a negative result both times, uh, you just feel really great and good to go for 10 years. So just for our listening audience, the prep is, is really nothing to worry about. Um, and the procedure itself, for me at least, uh, uh, was certainly, um, uh, certainly no big deal. Now, is there are there difficulties in access to appropriate screening for uh, people with different kinds of insurance or with no insurance? What what well, how does that sit? Uh, it's it's still a big issue, particularly um, um, there are some uh, uh, important areas in the U.S. that their their availability for colonoscopy. Not not only just using it as a primary source for screening, but also for uh, uh, in areas where the main program is uh, stool based, and then they need for the positive test to access a colonoscopy. That's still being a big issue, um, and and uh, probably in our area, this is much less of an issue. Though we still have some uh, uh, capability. Uh, uh, um, uh, issues here, but there are some areas, I'm just thinking a, a, a program in South Carolina, for instance, they had the hardest time trying to get their positive stool test, get a colonoscopy, just because there were no um, um, uh, endoscopies in the area available. And obviously, in the states that have not expanded Medicaid, that's still a big problem. Yeah. And I imagine if you're in a big state uh, that's rural, say Wyoming or someplace like that, if you're already reluctant to get a prep done and then you have to travel 300 miles to get your colonoscopy, that that's really quite a big disincentive, I would suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. We, uh, sometimes it's hard for us. We're in a urban area, it's very hard to imagine these type of, uh, of uh, barriers, but a lot of uh, individuals in the U.S. do have these type of barriers. They live in much less populated rural areas where, uh, and, and often we have the same issue with urban areas where like uh, there's plenty of possibilities, but the insurance becomes an issue. Yeah. And what about the Affordable Care Act? Did that change uh, laws about reimbursement for uh, colon cancer screening? Right. That was obviously a big, uh, a big improvement from what we had before. Uh, there's been a loophole with the uh, for Affordable Care Act, which is that uh, the minute uh, we are doing a biopsy, for instance, removing a polyp or something like that, the procedure gets changed from screening, uh, from screening to a diagnostic test, and then you could apply co-pays. So, so that's been an issue for the longest time. It's taken forever. Uh, a lot of uh, medical institutions and, and the American Cancer Society trying to really lobby to to uh, change that uh, that aspect of the law to make sure that no one would get an unexpected bill 
just because there was a polyp found and all of a sudden that's no longer a screening colonoscopy. This seems to be on the way to being resolved, but it's been extremely painful and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of resources being uh, uh, dedicated into really covering for the loophole because uh, that was a very unfortunate aspect that was not well covered under the ACA. Mm. Uh, but to be clear for our listening audience, uh, the ACA does mandate that uh, people of the appropriate age and risk group uh, will not have to have a copay for the screening in general, right? Exactly, and uh, and and that was an un- it was it was something that was not as clearly written, and that's why uh, some uh, uh, insurance took advantage of that. But the ACA is very clear about that. You do have your your approved screening uh, 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 tests should be covered. Uh-huh. So, but. But it behooves people to at least find out or know that it's possible if they were to get a biopsy, there might be some costs associated with that. Of course, better to find a way to pay for that, I think, than to have an untreated cancer or a precancer solution, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that hopefully won't be a barrier for too many people. Right. Great. So I know that one of your uh, scientific interests is in uh, familial uh, or inherited uh, cancer syndromes that lead to colon cancer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who should be worried about that? So basically, uh, um, certainly if you have, uh, if there's a, in a family, there are several family members, not only with colorectal cancer, but also other types of cancers that are commonly associated with, like, associated with that, like uh, 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 endometrial cancer or uterine cancer or other uh, GI tract cancers. That should raise a red flag for sure. Um, other cases would be uh, young onset in general. Uh, as we said, young onset uh, colon cancer has been growing, and, and the, the, behind that, it's not going to be genetics. But if we take a group of individuals who are younger than 50, um, the incidence or, or the number of individuals who will have a genetic defect is much bigger than if you take a, a, a group of individuals who develop colon cancer after age 50. On average, you have about 15 to 18 percent of those younger individuals will have a genetic defect. Yet, if you look at the older individuals, it would be more like in the 5%. So there's a big difference. That's why a younger age, a diagnosis for a cancer is usually a red flag too. Hmm. So let's say somebody is 45 or 40 and has colon cancer. Um, will that colon cancer be screened for genetic abnormalities that might be familial? So in general, uh, that young age of diagnosis would, uh, would uh, be an indication for screening. Um, one of the uh, things that's being recommended and currently done in many institutions is testing all uh, uh, colon cancers and endometrial cancers for a particular test that's like a pre-screening test for Lynch syndrome, which is the most common colon cancer syndrome. That's already done systematically. Uh, but uh, we're also moving towards a uh, genetic testing to most individuals who are uh, young uh, at onset. And if um, and if the cancer indicates one of those syndromes, um, then do the children necessarily need to be tested? So in general, um, only there's only one uh, or a couple of cases where we would test children because that's when they can start uh, having they can start having complications as kids, which are polyposis related syndromes. But in Lynch syndrome, the most common one. Uh, we don't usually test until age 20 to 25 because until that age, we usually don't do anything in terms of starting screening because the risk of cancer is still very, very low at that age. Mm-hmm. And when you test the individual at age 20 or 25, uh, you're testing the genetics of their tissue? 
or are they getting a colonoscopy? So what we are doing is we're doing germline test, what's called germline testing, which is looking at their DNA and looking if the, any of those genes that have been associated with uh, uh, with a uh, cancer syndrome have uh, are in uh, in uh, in their own DNA. That's what we're looking at. If that is the case, then at, at uh, usually at age 25 or so, we start the uh, screening uh, uh, program uh, according to uh, the recommendations for every particular gene because they do change also by gene. Mm-hmm. And so, and that DNA screening can be done by swabbing the inside of the mouth, for example. Correct, yeah. Uh, so it's not a painful or anything. It doesn't even need to be a blood test. It could be just a saliva. Yeah, but if the, if the parent's cancer doesn't have any of these genes, then what? So if the parent's cancer doesn't have any of these genes, um, only the very uncommon uh, uh, one that we call uh, familial adenomatous polyposis is really the only possibility in general because there's a significant uh, percentage of cases in that um, of those that they can appear for the ser- for the first time. And so someone all of a sudden develops that mutation, yet the parents did not have the mutation. When it comes to Lynch syndrome and the other common ones, um, those new mutations are extremely uncommon. So usually you have to have it inherited either from mom or from that. Okay, so let me just get this straight. So if your parent has young age onset colon cancer and the colon cancer does not screen positive for any of these familial syndromes, do the children need any kind of screening before the usual age? Sure. So uh, when that happens, um, we do know that still they have um, higher chances of developing colon cancer, even though we have not found any of those genetic defects. So we think that there's still information that we are missing, or maybe some shared environmental factors. Whatever it is, the recommendation is if they developed developed early, we would uh, start screening them with colonoscopy 10 years before the age of diagnosis of the parent. So it's important for them to know because we don't really know all the genes probably yet, right? Correct. And also important to know uh, if your parents or any first-degree relatives have had advanced, what we call advanced adenomas, because we do know that the risk of cancer is also higher, and then we do recommend earlier colonoscopies and colonoscopy every five years. Advanced adenomas being the big polyps. Exactly. Big polyps or the ones that, uh, and it usually goes together with, with the size, but ones that have what we call advanced histology, when the pathologists look at them and they say, well, this looks a little Precancerous. Exactly. Dr. Xavier Lor is a professor of medicine and medical director of the Cancer Screening and Prevention Program at Smilo Cancer Hospital. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.